Coming up on this week's podcast, Alan shares his thoughts on the movie Annihilation. I give the latest news on the Facebook case in Congress with Mark Zuckerberg. And Martin gives his thoughts on the current state of the Nintendo Switch. Let's roll. You're listening to the Three Pixels Tech, Gaming and Movie Podcast, brought to you by Alan Taylor, Martin Gregory and me, Ben Ridley. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Three Pixels. This is episode number six, numero sixo. And that's Spanish, isn't it? Numero <laughs> sixo. sixo. It's Spanish. I did it. I didn't do it at GCSE. Clearly. <laughs> the reason you're hearing my nasal tones instead of Ben is because Ben's retired. It's just you and me now, Martin. Ben's, Ben's left. Uh, God no, help no, us all. No, Ben's not feeling very well, so I've taken over hosting this week. Are you okay, Ben? I think, yeah, that's the only reason that I haven't actually argued when you said that is because I want to save my voice for the rest of the episode. So, hello, guys. It sounds like your throat is sandpaper. Uh, thank you. It feels like that as well. So, um, yeah, apologies. I will shut up now. And with that, I'll start with the movie corner. So I watched Annihilation when it came out about mid last month uh, on Netflix, and I really enjoyed it. Have either of you guys seen it? I have not. Annihilation? No. no. Okay, so just very quickly. So Annihilation is based on Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy. It was written and directed by Alex Garland, who also wrote 28 Days Later and directed Ex Machina. Natalie Portman stars as Lena, a biologist and former soldier who joins a mission to research the Shimmer after her husband, Oscar Isaacs, mysteriously comes back after having disappeared for a year. The Shimmer is the sinister, beautifully dangerous and enigmatic phenomenon that's expanding across the American coastline that no one has yet returned that they've sent in apart from her husband who was set, sent in a year ago. Once they're inside, they traverse the surreal world of mutating landscapes and beasts that attack both their lives and their minds. This movie's got a great cast, centrally women. Uh, it's very atmospheric, very thought-provoking, and it's a really cool concept-driven sci-fi drama. It's got elements of Event Horizon set in the jungle, but I think it's a lot more of 2001 A Space Odyssey. It does have quite a few problems with structure, character motivation, and just not having the time and space, I think, to tell the whole story. But I think this movie is more a movie to discuss with someone than to review because it, it'll mean something different to different people. But the thing that this movie does very well is that it's a very visual movie. It's a movie I would have loved to have seen in the theater, but because it's Netflix, of course, it was designated to the small screen. And this movie was made for the big screen. Uh, Alex Garland, the director, said, we made this film for cinema. Uh, he talked about liking things for the small screen, uh, notably Handmaid's Tale. But from his point of view, it was made to be seen on the big screen. So it was really disappointing not to be able to see that. The movie tested really poorly when they did a test screening and Paramount thought that it would be too intellectual or too complicated, so demand, demanded changes be made. The producer, Scott Rudin, didn't want to do that, so he made a deal with Netflix to distribute it uh, internationally through Netflix. Now, Netflix has been very important in distributing movies that would not have been picked up at all, you know, and showing them to a tremendous audience. We wouldn't have had Okja, Beasts of No Nations, and Mute, projects that you know, just wouldn't get made in the traditional system. 
but now the traditional system isn't too happy about Netflix. We're about a couple of weeks away from the Cannes Film Festival starting and tensions are rising between the two. Netflix has threatened to withdraw five of its films that were set to premiere at Cannes over a festival rule that specifically bans Netflix from the main competition because Netflix immediately releases their movies to, to be streamed. And they're five pretty big important movies that would at least do well with the Cannes audience and the Cannes judges. Uh, we've got Alfonso Cuaron's Roma, Paul Greengrass's Norway, and also a remastered Orson Welles movie called The Other Side of the Wind, which no one has seen before. Obviously, people have been getting involved in both sides of the argument. Some people are standing by Netflix, saying that Cannes are being completely unfair against the future of distribution and that they're feeling threatened. And other people are standing with Cannes, saying that they're standing up for the true cinematic experience. Even Steven Spielberg's got involved now, commenting that Netflix shouldn't be allowed anywhere near the Oscars, that movies on Netflix are TV movies and should be judged as such. Christopher Nolan has also previously shared his distaste for Netflix, specifically because of their business model being one that completely disregards the classic cinema experience. So what do you guys think? Is Netflix's model of distribution killing cinema? Well, no, I actually think it's helping it, personally. I also think it helps TV programs as well. Let's take it to probably one of the biggest influential TV programs of probably the last 10 years of House of Cards. Kevin Spacey said it himself, he struggled getting funding for that, went to Netflix and instantly got approved there and then because they knew it was going to do well. And, and now people are, I'm trying to find a better word, uh, the moaning. I want to use a stronger word than that. But it's like, well, deal with it. Step up your game. And all it is, Netflix model, I think, needs to be more celebrated than it does need to be put for the dirt. I don't understand why people are moaning about, oh, they don't do classic cinema. Cinema is meant to evolve, and they've got to roll with the times. You can't just be stuck in your old ways. You, you can't just think thinking what happened 50 years ago, 100 years ago, is going to work today. People change, people move on, things adapt. And if you can't handle that, then get out. But Netflix is taking, well, they're picking up movies that wouldn't otherwise get made. But in this case, with Annihilation, this movie was supposed to be made, this was made for the big screen, and they're not letting it out. They're keeping it on the small screen. They're taking away this shared experience. My argument then is, like, why weren't they meant to be made? Like, what, what's, what, you know, oh, they don't think it's going to do very well at the box office, this and that. Well, on IMDb right now has a 7.1 uh, score, which is fairly good. That's quite high. And... Like always, Annihilation has received very mixed, but mostly positive reviews. And then they're saying, oh, this film wasn't meant to be made. Or, or, and the Doctor's saying, well, it's meant to be for the big screen. And I can understand where he's coming from as you were reading through like the synopsis. And I think you also said that, oh, people might not understand it. People might not get it. There's a lot of films that people don't get. But that, that's part of the enjoyment. Sometimes I like to leave the cinema and think, what was that about? And I'd go and look at it. I'd go, I want to read more into it. Like, um, probably the, one of the most instant classics that come to mind is uh, Citizen Kane. Like, at the very end with the Rosebud, if you haven't seen this film, you've had nearly, like, 70 years to watch this now. At the end, it's, it's the sled in, in the fire, which means his childhood. But people didn't understand that. Like, why, why is there a sled in a fire and it's Rosebud? I don't get it. But, you know, with uh, Annihilation... It might want you to delve deeper into it. And that's all that cinema is, is to, to grasp the audience and make them feel that they're submerged in it. If you don't get it, people want to know why. And I don't understand why people are, are moaning like, oh, we want to keep this back and oh, we don't want to make this. But clearly it has an audience for it. Paramount didn't have the confidence to put this out in cinemas. 
So it, it's what you're saying is the publishers should take more risks. Yeah, I think so. Netflix are definitely taking risks. Yeah. Um, just in their, the concepts of their movies and also with the more diverse the crew and uh, directors and storytellers because if you think uh, Mudbound that that was a Netflix movie that opened up the first Oscar nomination for a female cinematographer it's true that wouldn't have happened I, I completely agree I think distributors need to take bigger risks but if they're doing that that will take away from Netflix's pool do you think the home experience can compare with the cinema experience though? I think it already has uh, if you look at throughout the years I think it has I think um, it's getting more and more that way, yes. I think that people are more and more able to get the experiences that once was exclusive to cinemas. I mean, you know, yes, okay, it's the latest in technology, not everyone has it, but it's, you know, it's coming down. HDR, 4K, these are things that Netflix and, uh, you know, modern day TVs are supporting and they're really accessible. I mean, I have, it might not be a top of the range one, but I have a 4K HDR TV and it didn't break the bank and a lot of people can purchase them now. Dolby Atmos is being supported a lot more roundly and, and on services like Netflix as well. So it's getting easily accessible for the people and it's allowing people to enjoy more films and i think that a lot of the the top directors and creators and people influencing the film industry should be supportive of things like netflix because the ability to experience a lot of variants of different films is what makes you a better film creator which makes you a better person going into the industry if you're limited on the type of films that you can gain ideas and experience and and everything from then you know you're limiting what you're going to be able to put out there in the future you know that's why you know one of the top tips you get given is watch as many things as possible because that's how you learn to move forward what are netflix allowing people to do to watch as many things as possible to consume as many things and i think also it is allowing creators who may not have been able to make it onto the big screen just yet early out in their careers to have a platform to to tell the stories that they want to create and i think that's why things like bbc3 have been really praised here in the uk if you don't know outside the uk we have a channel here that was a big uh was a big thing for the bbc and um, one of the biggest broadcasting corporations in the uk to launch because it was taking a channel that was existingly on a tv channel on a normal station and making it online only and lowering the bar for creators to be able to put things up there without having to have a big catalog of things they've done in the past or have a big budget and i think you know it's really helped the industry in the uk in terms of tv and i think netflix helps the industry in terms of bigger production shows and films i was just going to add on to uh, what ben was going to say there like um, with the costs and stuff like um, re- quite recently my mum uh, bought a new tv and a sound bar we can get the exact same uh, experience through a cinema without all the chitter chatter and all the rustling popcorn and all that and it, it was less than 700 pound all right it's not like this big hall blah 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 but to me, watching a film is just easier now at home. And, uh, you know, the price of movie tickets are extortionate to where I'm from. And I'm sure everyone else here can sort of agree that they are quite expensive now. Ben and I had this discussion a long time ago, but it wasn't about movie experience. It was more about TV with uh, the introduction of, like, uh, YouTube. How, like, uh, that was sort of balance, battling uh, TV. And, like, people, like, especially my age and younger, going over to YouTube to watch content and, and to get ideas... And, and now the, uh, the film have just sort of gone, oh, wait, hang on, we've got Netflix coming for our heels. Well, you know, throughout history, you've had to have competition and, and this is their competition now. You guys have been focusing on the digital side of home theatre, but I, I think the value in the cinema experience is, I mean, yes, it's, it's a big screen, it's the great sound, but it's the shared experience with an audience, with a group of other people. I know you said chit-chat and popcorn and everything, yes. but... I, I feel like I have a much better time when I'm sat with an audience and we're all 
been taken on this journey together. No, what? Sorry, um, I, I, I just hate it. And I think it was on, on here not too long ago. I said about the Blade Runner film and listened to that, and the audio sounded awful. You know, I yeah, spent, but it shouldn't. That's a bad theatre. But, but yeah, yeah, but that's just it. Like um, it is hit and miss. Like yeah, there are the gold moments, and you're like, this is why I came to the cinema. But there are plenty of moments where you're sat in the cinema and you're like, why did I pay this price to come here? I've wasted a load of money. I could have waited and just watched this at home because there are people next to me disinterested in the film. Like the the theatre in a bit of disrepair like there's buzzing coming from the speakers that's happened before the, you know the screen doesn't quite fit right or there's all these little things and that the, for me personally as a, like a technology person and a film person that any of those little things can just completely detract away from the film well yeah but there are plenty of bad movies on Netflix I mean you're talking about lower quality this, oh, of yeah, course, but how much are you but... how much are you paying uh, for these bad movies you know how and you're not committed. You can you can quit it out of yep. that film within ten minutes and pick something else. You're not committed to watching that film. You haven't invested. I feel like this is a two prong attack here on Alan. Cinema will always have a place in my heart. Can I just get that right? Cinema will always have a place, and you know I am the one when I go to the cinema. I want IMAX. Like I want to experience it the best way and best possible way. And you know I, I enjoyed going to see films in proper film stock as well if they have that version available, which. Unfortunately, it's very little and far in between these days. And, you know, if there were more genuine film experiences, 100% down for that. I am a film lover. Like, I want to see films in the way that they were tended to be seen. It sometimes can be just be so cost prohibitive and also the experience is so mixed. Uh, you know, unless you've got a place you know you go to and you know you always get that good experience, then it can be difficult. But yeah, so and I want the movie experience to always be as best as possible in every aspect, in the, the audience aspect, in the, the quality aspect, in, in the price aspect. But it's not always the case. Yeah. But I mean, I think what we can all agree on is that we, we all want to see great movies, but publishers need to take the risks to get these Definitely. great movies out there instead of the same old thing. At the end of the day, I do want both. I, I want to see, you know, great movies on the big screen, but then also be able to come home and watch like all the movies as well. And I do think the future does lie in the home theater experience and that's fine, but I'm happy for people and industries to keep pushing for independent distri distributors to exist and to just justify the existence of theaters. Because still, every time I do go to the theater and I see this great movie, I do have a bit of an existential crisis of like, how long is this gonna last? So as long as we can keep making that last, I'm, I'm happy. But let me know, you're listening at home, what do you think? Are you with Netflix? Do you think that people should get their movies to their homes as soon as they're made? Or are you happy that there are these defenders of the cinematic experience still planting a, a flag in the sand? Let me know. And over to Ben with the tech news. A computer lets you make more mistakes faster than any invention in human history with the possible exceptions of handguns and tequila. Okay, thank you, Alan. It is time for the Tech Corner. Well, as much of it as I can try and get through here without breaking up. Okay, so Facebook, really, really important. I wanted to get this at the top of the Tech Corner because it is a very hot topic at the moment. Of course, a lot of you will know about the Cambridge Analytica scandal regarding Facebook sharing information with Cambridge Analytica, Cambridge Analytica then sharing it with other people as well. 87 million people's information was improperly obtained by Cambridge Analytica and not everyone has received a notification yet to let them know that their information was shared. So I thought it was important to let you guys know 
how you can check whether you're someone who has been affected. We will put a link to an article in the show notes of this episode. Click on that link in the article. We all the details you need to check. Basically, you just need to be logged into your Facebook account and click on the link and it will tell you whether the data has been shared. It will also tell you whether friends of yours had their information shared, which could mean that your public profile was made visible through them because you're friends with them doesn't tell you who the friend is so you can't go and just you know gang up on them and go hey why did you let this happen the only way that your data would have been shared is if you were using a particular service on facebook called this is your digital life it, it was kind of an app that um, showed you all your digital life and details and things like that and that once you activated that made your information shared with cambridge analytica uh, which created the app and therefore allowed people's data to be accessed so if you know for sure that you don't really do anything with apps on Facebook, if you very basic posting stuff, very little interaction at all, maybe you don't go on there at all, then you're more than likely going to be fine. But if you want to check peace of mind, really important, you can check the show notes. So I thought, just talk about that. I don't really have too much news in terms of the Zuckerberg trial going in front of Congress. It is being recorded live, filmed live, as we're recording this uh, as of the 10th of April. So we can't really say and obviously the results will be out before this episode so just yeah have a look out for it we'll, we'll maybe talk about it in future episodes if it becomes a really really big moving topic which i'm sure it will do any of you two have any opinion on this data breach from anything you know any thoughts you want to add before i move on i hardly go on facebook so i'm pretty certain even if they did take my data they're not going to do much with it I, like i like i said to alan uh, coming into this i said what we're going to know is like like liverpool football club and Oakland Raiders and some obscure bands. Oh, they're going to try and sell me some of this stuff. I just like it annoys me that they, you know, that they're trying to tap into people's data. Fair enough, but I can't see what they're going to do with certain people's data, like myself, who have nothing. I think the biggest uproar from this came from the fact that people were set to trust a major organization like Facebook with their d d data and trust that Facebook wouldn't just give it out to another company without telling them about it first. You know, that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, you know, in Europe, GDPR is something that's becoming a really, really big, important new regulation that's coming in for. So it's very much a talked about topic here in Europe, but in the US slightly less. So people are thinking about, and the companies, even small companies, they have to think about the data they share and what data they're allowed to collect from people and how they meant to store it. Honestly, you can get really caught up in all of this as a company and it can cost you a lot of time and money. And you're doing this as a small company that don't have a lot of money, but Facebook can get away with sharing, you know, millions of people's information, you know, just willy nilly like this to a company that then the company said, oh, we deleted it a long time ago. And then Cambridge Analytica said they deleted it. And then Facebook um, didn't really bother to check them because they trusted that they deleted them. They didn't have the, you know, the care and attention to make sure that they deleted the data that they said they deleted. I mean, you know, come on, you're trusting people with this amount of information. You should at least have the decency to do that. And I think that's where a lot of this came from is that it wasn't the fact that it had been shared. It was the fact that this was all under wraps and no one was led to know about it. It's that secrecy that people don't like. Haven't we been assuming that Facebook's been doing this for years though? Is this, I, I didn't feel that surprised when all this came out, yes. to be honest. Well, I sort of sat here thinking, I, I thought this was quite, quite common knowledge that they use our data. And then the people making this big uproar now, I'm thinking, was it so known? I'm, I'm quite, I don't know where I I mean, really no, it's still awful. I'm not happy that no, it's happening, not. but I just assumed they were doing it. I personally don't use 
Facebook that often or at all. Uh, I have just checked and I'm fine. Neither me nor my friends have logged into This Is Your Digital Life. Well, but you know, I, have got, <laughs> I have got friends and parents and partners that I know use these apps and things and just click accept on it, all these things. And so my data could be being used without like my knowledge of even having uh, consented to it. Because I mean, there is there is a, a security issue here. I mean, we talk about you know sales and things like that, but a lot of people put a lot of personal information in. I mean, this is some people say this is down to the user. Don't put all this information on Facebook just because you can doesn't mean you should. But you know, people are trusting. You know, we have people of all different ages, all different experience or nationalities, everything on there. And if Facebook are asking or allowing you to put this information on, they should make sure that information is kept securely. Because when it comes to security, it is quite important. You know, there's a lot of data on people's profiles in the wrong hands, you know, private data that you've thought you've not shared with anyone, because you can make some data completely private, only you can see it or only close friends can see it, could be used for fraud, could be used to steal your credit card information or your identity. You know, it happens. It really does happen. You know, you hear about people years ago, you know, digging through old um, letters and stuff from bins and then, you know, using that information like your address, your name, and your date of birth to create a false identity and then open a load of bank accounts, credit cards, things like that in your name. This could happen through Facebook. People put their addresses on, people put their places of work, people put everything about them on Facebook, you know, and I, I don't want to jump on and say that, oh, you know, you should have been more careful, you know, don't be silly because... This is, you know, something that is uh, used by so many different people. And I, you can't expect that everyone really knows better or knows that they shouldn't maybe put as much information. You know, they, that people are trusting, especially older generations who maybe aren't so tech savvy. You know, they're, they're, if they're a big company with a big name, you generally, you know, you were brought up to believe that you, you should be able to trust them. And it's not just knowing. I mean, Facebook actively encourages us to put as much of our lives as possible on here they are asking us to give them all their information so they i mean i don't know if they've ever promised they wouldn't do this but it is their responsibility not to but again i've i've assumed that they've been doing this for years i i don't know yeah, I understand. And this is going to be a topic that divides many. And that's why it is such a hot topic. And that's why it is important that it's discussed in the legal terms in Congress with Martin Zuckerberg finally coming and talking about it, because it, it has to be talked about, at least because people will have differing opinions on it. There are people who are the skeptics of Facebook, who are believe they've been doing it all along and go, well, this is, you know, just saying this is something we were expecting. And then the people who will have been completely surprised by this, and they want answers and information. So I think the hopefully the outcome of this is that we're all will be well informed by the end, we'll all be better off, knowing that this is a possibility, this is something that we need to be careful of, as we move into this digital world, as more of our lives are online, we need to have a general understanding of what happens to our data, where it's going, what's been stored, and what data we trust and where we trust it. And I think this is hopefully opening people's eyes a little bit more that you can't just trust an organization to do the right thing because even the biggest organizations sometimes do the wrong thing. We'll just learn from this and not put as much on there or is there going to be some sort of being held accountable that we know that if they do breach this trust or, or breach something that they will be held accountable? Like what, what is the ideal outcome here? So... I mean, it's going back to this whole GDPR thing. So Facebook are kind of not applicable to all the new regulations in Europe because they're an American company operating purely out of America. And just because they offer services to Europe, that doesn't quite cover it yet. So 
if you're an American business, you don't, there's the security levels um, that you have to, by law, comply to doesn't really meet what is going to need to meet in the future if you compare it to what the laws are going to be like in Europe and the UK. The way you store data to make sure it can't be hacked from hackers, um, the, how you access people's data, how you ask for in the, in the first place, the fact that you can't just assume people's data. You can't just say, well, if you didn't untick this box, we can take your data. No, you have to physically ask them and they have to physically agree and you can't assume anymore and things like this. So I think what is going to come out of this, hopefully, I think, is that the US will have to take a stronger standpoint law, legally lawfully on the way major organizations can take and process our data to meet what's going on in the other half of the world as well so i think tighter regulations and just a clearer understanding of rules because at the moment with a lot of things in the web is that there are no real rules the, the laws we have for a lot of things even the data protection act was made so long ago that it's so outdated so ancient that it just doesn't meet anymore it's so easy to go around because it doesn't really take into consideration the way technologies and the internet works today so i think uh, things need to be updated this has shown a major flaw in any regulations there are uh, and the fact that we've left this way too long to actually do anything about making sure that companies are doing things legally i think we've just um we are forgetting one key component here what happens to mark now what, what would you like to see him happen? do we want him to be uh, almost taking full responsibility for it because basically um, it, we weren't sure whether he was going to come to Congress or someone else. He basically said the right person to answer these questions, the person who feels that has the best knowledge of this will be the one going to Congress. So the fact that he's gone to Congress is mean he's legally accepting the fact that he is the best person to answer these questions, meaning it is that he's the person who knows the most about this, therefore the most responsible. So... I don't know. I might. It might. He looked he, in the images and video I've seen of him in Congress. He looks worried, and he should be worried because this is going to ripple through all the investors in the company and the board of directors and things like this. This is going to not bode well because uh, you know he's going to be seen as not uh, not a great face of Facebook. When well, the senator mentions that he heard that Facebook can track internet browsing after someone has logged out. Zuckerberg tried to deflect the question, but had to concede the fact that he does indeed track cookies. And uh, so that's quite, I didn't know that. That was quite worrying. I'm sorry to add that, but that is and This is why on. I think a lot of laws need to come in and, and regulations, because this is becoming a popular way of ad targeting people. So it's not just Facebook that do it. Google do it as well. When you go on Amazon or you go on a certain website and you look at a product... The minute you leave that site, there's a tracker that's placed in your cookies, in your in your internet data, in your local data that tracks what you do after that. So, I mean, a few of you might have noticed in the past that you'd be looking something on Amazon, a product, then you'll go on YouTube and you'll see an ad next to it for the product you've just been looking at or something similar. You'll be bombarded because they know that you've just been doing that and then they know that you've gone to these other websites so they can put ads on those websites. So it's, it's unfortunately a way of advertising targeting and it's been going on more and more frequently recently. So Facebook aren't the only ones and there's a lot of conspiracies out there there's none of them here to fully prove it but there's definitely major conspiracies that facebook are not only tracking your web browsing data but also especially on android phones people would be more worried that they've been able to turn on microphones or things like that or listen to what you're saying if you have their one of their apps on your phone that they also do things like that because people have been saying that they've had physical conversations in person with someone about a product 
and then they've gone on Facebook themselves and they've seen ads for that same thing and it's been really spooky. So I saw a big investigation going on that. No one could prove either way that it was false or true. So you can make your own mind up on that whether you think it's true or not. But uh, yeah, my point is, a lot of this is, I think, is slowly getting out of hand because there isn't anyone going, okay, here's the here's the limit. Here's, here's, you, know, you can do all this, but this is the line. There is no line. That's the thing. And people keep pushing it until something even bigger than this happens. Obviously, this is a very dividing topic. You may completely disagree with what you said. You might agree to parts. It's really important you get in touch with the conversation. We want to know how our listeners feel about this kind of data sharing and data production and Facebook and things like this. And so it's one of the biggest conversations probably going to happen on the internet this year. Get in touch the usual ways. Hello at the3pixels.com if you like to get in touch via email. Twitter, we are at 3pixelspod. And on Facebook, you can search the 3pixels. You can find us on there as well. Get in touch, drop us a message. We want to know and we could be reading out your thoughts and opinions on the next episode. Would either of you guys like uninstall Facebook or delete it right now? Like, are you, are you that worried about it? This is the argument. I mean, the, the people saying that, you know, we are so in, we're so engaged in Facebook. We're so much of our lives are in Facebook that what would it actually take for people to physically say no? Yeah, I've seen plenty of people throwing their arms up in the air, but no one's like getting rid of it. Well, this is just it. And people say they're going to do one thing, but they don't. But they that don't doesn't mean you can excuse what's happened. Oh, absolutely. I'm not trying to. I'm just saying like, because uh, the thing is, is that Facebook know this and that's why they can feel like they can, get a, they can push the, the limit more and more. The only reason I don't get rid of Facebook is that I can uh, keep track on friends and see what like updates. That's the only reason. Honestly, if that went, which won't, obviously that's the biggest selling point of it. I, think I wouldn't have no, any use for, for Facebook really. I, I use it for the Messenger app more than anything else. I... Until something else comes along and take people away from it and then they go, oh, I want to join people on this. I don't think it's going to happen because there is no actual really good alternative. Bebo, bring it back. Bebo, here we go. Here we go. Or MySpace, either way. Oh, God. Let me know. And that's all I have for the Tech Corner for this episode. Thank you very much. Back to Alan. Thanks, Ben. We'll give your voice a rest now as we move over to the Games Corner with Martin. Thank you very much. And yeah, a few articles here to talk about today. First one I want to dive into is Nintendo Switch games news. It's unannounced, but very strong games confirmed for 2018. Nintendo had a very strong year uh, in 2017 with the likes of Super Mario Odyssey, The Legend of Zelda, The Breath of the Wild, and Splatoon, very strong platform games. And now they seem set to push on from that. Some games that include the new Spider-Man games that people are very hyped about, as well as even Red Dead Redemption is also rumored to be making an appearance on, on the Nintendo Switch, as well as some, a new Metroid game and also more platforms like God of War. And if you guys remember not long ago, we had a conversation about Nintendo and this is actually good to eat my words. I even said they need to bring in some franchises, they need to bring in core games and they've done exactly that. I'm not saying our podcast has helped this at all, but what I'm saying, I feel glad that Nintendo are picking up the mantle and setting off with a good year and good well-planned games. Um, Basically, I just want a quick talk to both of you because I know, Ben, you've recently purchased a Nintendo Switch and I want to hear about your experience. And Alan, and I know you're a big defender last time we talked about um, Nintendo. I just want to see what you think and predict for the future of Nintendo. So, yes, I am the proud owner of a Nintendo Switch. Actually, I am selling my Xbox One to help fund 
the Switch purchase. I'm going to be honest, I haven't been using it. It's been sat there in the corner collecting dust. PS4 has been being used, and I just felt like I have two consoles that play the main blockbuster games that you get that most of them want to play. There's no real exclusives. There's no real exclusives on the Xbox One that I'm looking forward to or want right now. So Xbox One, I'm afraid you're out, and I tapped in the Switch. And honestly, 24 hours in, really enjoying it so far. We'll see how long it lasts here. Within, you know, a month or so, I'll maybe update you guys on my feelings on it. But so far, so good. I got Mario Odyssey, the first game I got on it. And honestly, was so glad I chose that game. It is a brilliant game and really shows Nintendo taking one of their existing IPs and just making it feel fresh and innovative. And there's so many great ideas in there. And it's so well done. And it feels different it feels it feels special and uh it's really welcomed me into the switch in a great way so so far so good looking forward to the games coming out um of course pokemon coming out on the switch is one of the things i kept in my mind when i bought the switch very excited for that and i just knew that if i didn't already have a switch by the time pokemon came out i was just gonna have to go and get one because pokemon's a big game for me and uh, this sounds to be a really good one as well and uh, yeah lots of great stuff lined up you know as we go through the next year i think it's gonna be a great year for nintendo continuing the already great year i think they had last year with breath of the wild and of course you know odyssey which came out as well last year Sorry, Martin. On that list, you said Red Dead Redemption. Yes. Is that are they re-releasing the old one, or they is that the sequel? This is the sequel that's coming out. Oh, okay. Well, either way, that sounds awesome. I would love to play that on the go um, because a lot of people that rolled their eyes when they announced Skyrim for the Switch have actually come back and said, "Oh, wait, no. This is so much fun to just take and replay through." So, if even if they just start re-releasing old third-party games, that would be so much fun. I'd I'd love to just take them out, have actually been looking at Switches as well <laughs> online since Ben got one. I've started uh, something. We're yeah. all going to have Switches in a month. Yeah. And we'll see. <laughs> so I'm going to sell Ben's Xbox One first to fund my Switch. And yeah, no, I. this all sounds fine. This all sounds very good. And I've seen Ben play Odyssey. It looks so good. It, it really looks like does. so much fun. Yeah. Uh, he threw a cap onto a Tyrannosaurus Rex and ran around as a Tyrannosaurus Rex with a little mustache. It was, it was magical. It was. So yeah, I mean, I don't know what there is to add to this. I don't think, I think everyone's been very happy with the Switch. Obviously, you know, it's got its problems. It's got its classic Nintendo problems. Friend codes still exist. The their whole uh, connecting to Wi-Fi is still a bit of a problem. Has it exceeded your expectations? Is that, is, that's probably the From what I've heard, I had very high expectations. I think as a games console, it it's amazing. From what I've seen so far, it's it's very competent. As on you know on the back end menu side, I, I think you know it's still Nintendo. Yeah, it's uh, still got a lot. You know, a lot to which really a, a isn't aim for. excusable. I mean, what is this? Their third, yeah, third yeah, or fourth third online now, yeah. console now. So and they've had years to look at what other consoles have been doing right but as a as a thing that plays video games i can't fault it it has been reported at uh, gamestop that 44.8 percent of their fourth quarter was mostly um, hardware sales and that has been up by 28 percent overall thanks to the hybrid console it's all looking up for the console and nintendo especially after the absolute trash bin of the wii u that that just sort of just got tossed aside as quickly as people bought it. And I'm, I am happy with Nintendo. As many people go, mine, he's clearly out for blood. 
but I'm not. And I'm really happy to see Nintendo thrive. And I, I look forward to what they're releasing, but I also agree this is 2018. You've had Xbox 360 and the PS3. And even before that, you've had things to look at what your competitors are doing. There are a few issues, uh, as, we like, as we've already said, n Nintendo issues. But it, it does look like a bright future. And maybe the next console will be even bigger and better. But let's just focus on the here and now. It's all smiles thus far. But anyway, I'd love to hear what you guys think of, uh, of this. Get in touch with us. And with that, that is the end of the gaming call. Thank you very much, Martin. And now it's time for Versus. Probably won't remember, it's been quite a while, but last time on Versus, it was me against Ben, and de deservedly so, Martin chose me. Some say. What? No, nothing cons conspiracy. Martin chose me to win, so that means Ben is going to judge. Over to you, Ben. Let's start. Okay, so, guys, I want two really strong, weird pieces of news. They've got to be weird, they've got to be heartwarming or anything they gotta they gotta touch me in the right way okay so i'm encouraging guys you know touch me with your articles okay and before this gets too weird in itself as alan you were the victor last time you get to choose whether you want to go first or last i will <laughs> i will go first please okay you want to get first out the gate i like it i like your enthusiasm take it away the stage is yours drunk tourist accidentally climbs mountain while trying to get back to his hotel. A drunk tourist had a very rough night after he got lost on his way back to his hotel and found himself climbing the Italian Alps. An Estonian tourist known as Pavel has been enjoying a few drinks at a, an Italian resort when he decided to call it a night and head back to his hotel. However, what should have been a short walk turned into a mountain hike and he ended up at 2 a.m. in the morning at an altitude of 2,400 meters. He hunkered down for the night and was found by the police with a severe hangover. Alive, I might, I should add. I thought you said his name was Pebble at first. Pavel. I know you said Pavel, but I said Pebble at first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, sorry, did he make it? I, I... Oh, uh, no, he didn't make it home. Hi. He... Why, you stuck up a mountain? There was a cabin or a bar, a bar called Igloo. Yeah. That he found nestled in the mountainside. In which country is this, by the way? Italy. The oh, Alps. Italy, the Alps. Right, sorry. Um, Catching up. At an altitude of 2,400 meters. And he bunkered down for the night. I assume outside as it was closed. Oh, he made a makeshift bed out of a bench and a few cushions. <laughs> A search party made up of the fire brigade, police and drones had been dispatched to locate him and he was found safe and sound by the bar. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a story of a few twists and turns. Okay. That, that was not what I was expecting. Not very often that happens. You don't hear that in the news very often. So uh, yeah, pretty good choice. But I won't give away too much just yet until I hand it over to Martin. Martin, the time is now and it's yours. <laughs> Okay, thank you, Ben. <laughs> okay, so mine is the Royal Wedding Plate features a hilarious error, but sellers insist that the mistake was deliberate. So this plate in question costs £25 and features a very famous ginger that is not Prince Harry. In fact, it is Ed Sheeran and Meghan Markle on this plate, but still insisting that this is Prince Harry. 
So I'll have a quick show of the of my panel here. As you can see, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle on a plate. Okay, oh, I that's thought it was photograph. like a drawing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Misinterpretation. Actual... No, that's a photograph of Ed Sheeran. Yeah, that is a definite photo of Ed Sheeran. Unmistakable. But, of course, this guy has made the mistake of confusing the two. So, yeah, that is my weird story. How do you get the two mixed up? It is incredible to think. So he's not giving refunds, he's not... No, you can still buy this item. Where? On Etsy. On Etsy. Yes. So the seller hasn't taken it down. No, it's still <laughs> capitalising on the mistake. He's done it on purpose. Yeah. So, He's done it on purpose. Yeah, because so, there's going to be thousands of these bloody plates with the actual yes. Prince and Meghan on it. Only one of Ed Sheeran and Meghan Michael. So there you go. I'm, I know now what I'm going to get Ben for his birthday. Great. So there you go. I'll just try and scratch out Meghan Thanks. Markle and put his face yeah. there. Well, we know what the album art for the, uh, this episode is. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Right. So that is my weird news. <laughs> okay, I don't okay. Know. That one's pretty good. Okay. It's actually quite tough. But I think both of you gave really, really interesting topics, very different topics with very different lessons to be learned from both of them. One of them, I think, maybe don't get drunk near or up a mountain, maybe. I don't know. Don't get drunk on your own and uh, get lost up a mountain. Great one, Alan. Still, it's something, yeah, I can very much envision and see. And the, the fact that they had a whole search and rescue team finding after a drunk guy is something to smile at. Martin, also, uh, you know, you can tell that this is one of these almost very easy mistakes to know if you don't know the UK very well. I just imagine some guy in India somewhere who has no idea about like any of these people and he's just Google image searched, found this and done, that's it, that must be them. Has no clue at all about this and has put this together to sell it on Etsy and has, uh, you know, inadvertently made uh, a really funny mistake. And uh, the fact that he's standing by the mistake, uh, I think really, uh, really adds to that story and um, really makes me smile. So with that, I think I'll have to give it to you, Martin, I'm afraid, uh, Alan. It just, uh, just, no, I mean, just the absolutely. two factors. It had two bits to it. It just kept on giving, really. That's the first time I've won. I thought, as soon as I was, I thought, this is going to hit Ben. Quite good, <laughs> this is. It's Ed Sheeran. I just like how annoyed she looks. Yeah. To be honest, it's not just the Ed Sheeran for me. Like, I, you know, not just the fact it's Ed Sheeran. I think it's just the fact that. If, you know, an entrepreneurial point of view, like he's decided, do you know what? This is getting, it's getting publicity. I don't care if it's wrong. Like keep it up here because it's probably going to sell. And the fact that he's sticking by it, that, that was the thing that clenched it for me. So uh, yeah, congratulations, Martin. You are taking home the prize for this episode of Versus. Well done. You deserve it. So in the next episode of Versus, I will have to verse Martin and Alan will be judging. So uh, stay tuned for that. And with that, back to Alan to outro this episode. Thank you very much, Ben. And thank you, Martin, for playing Versus. And while we have you here, go check out the first impressions for Rampage that went out last week. Let us know what you thought of that as well. And let us know what you thought about this episode. Get in touch by Twitter at 3pixelspod or you can email us hello at the3pixels.com. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you, Martin. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. See you later. You've been listening to the Three Pixels podcast, a production by Alan Taylor, Martin Gregory, and me, Ben Ridley. Music provided by Epidemic Sound and exec produced by Abrupt Audio. With that, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Good night. So, are we getting into the plate business?
wrong plates. Well, we don't know if he's actually made any money. Oh, uh, well, maybe. Well, I don't know. We'll find out. And if he does, then let's, well, I mean, let's ditch this won, podcast. I mean, this podcast ain't making us any money. Let's be honest here. Let's start Wait, making plate plates. What, our faces or just random people's faces? Wrong. So, like, you know, just find famous couples and we'll just get them slightly wrong. Oh, I see. Like, um... Like the Queen and Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Queen and Queen, yeah. Yeah, you go. See? There you go. We're already in the money. We're already in the business. So I just have a really funny image of, like, you know, the, the band Queen. Yeah. Instead of uh, Brian May, it's actually the Queen herself. <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, this is Brian May. I can imagine the Queen rocking out a bit of Queen in... in in the thing, in the, in the, in the, the palace. palace. Yeah. Sorry, in the thing. In, in the, the palace. <laughs> Kids in the thing. Well, even today, I've been to the thing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we all know she likes a bit of Slipknot. Really, we all know she likes queens a bit all over the Slipknot. Yeah. yeah. Do you think? Do you think she gets like she's like a typical grandmother and just gets all the names of things slightly wrong? I talk about we purpose. talk about getting the plates wrong. Do you know what I mean? Do you get? Because you know, you know, you all know like a, a an old family member or whatever that just calls things by the wrong name. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandma's like that. Yeah, quite a lot. Quite a lot. I think she probably does it on purpose more than anything. Oh, you think else. so? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, at that age, you ain't got much else going for you. Yeah, you? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I love the Queen, by the way. Don't I don't want like Secret Service people now coming. Mi six are on their way. <laughs> just like right now. You said something bad about the Queen. Hundred um, percent. <laughs> 